Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You're about to listen to another proud presentation brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off of your order. Wallop and web snappers. My spider sense is tingling. Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Derek. And I'm Doug. And is your spider sense tingling? It is, but it's kind of only feeling amazing, and I bet if I just trained, maybe I could get like that ultimate spider sense. To listen to this show, find us on FriedRadio.com <laughs> and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit RevengeLover.com. And we'd like to take a quick moment to thank our spectacular patrons, Bo, Carl, Eric, Katie, Jason, and David. Thank you. You already did the joke, but I also planned to do that exact same joke you were going to make here where I was going to say, hey, Doug, you know, we're pretty amazing podcasters, Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but are you ready to be the ultimate podcasters? I don't know. I don't really like podcasting with other people, so I think I'll just fly solo. So you're just going to have a podcast where it's just you talking into the mic by yourself? Yeah, totally. Telling, telling stories, saying yeah, your opinions. I guess that's what that a lot always of you- works, right? That's what a lot of YouTube <laughs> channels are, though. To be honest, I guess it's just you're just missing the video part of that. Yeah. Really, maybe when you lose the video, it's more boring to people. I don't know we've got a lot to talk about, so maybe let's not go on that tangent. Let's um, go. Yeah. So it, yeah, Ultimate Spider-Man is what we're Ooh. doing finally. I feel Ooh. like there's I, there's a ton of information that we have for this. All of our, you know. All of our openers for new shows when we cover them are always heftier episodes. So you know this is going to be a long one. With this one, I feel like it's even more just because of the weird, you know, legacy of it and all that stuff. Um, I do think it's worth doing a little bit of like table setting for it because sure. it is an interesting place in our podcast because Ultimate Spider-Man is going to be the last show that we start is in major Spider-Man show that already exists. Right. Um, I feel like I phrased that in the weirdest way. Like of all the Spider-Man shows that existed, we have covered or at least done like a season or a few episodes of all of them except for this one, um, which is funny that we saved this one for like the last new show that we start. Yeah. It's the longest it running was, one. It's kind of a doozy. It was a mistake. <laughs> I mean, like not, not mm. uh, the, sh- you know, I, we, I think we were just intimidated. We were I intimidated think that, by how much there is. That I think there's a lot of factors behind it, though. I yeah. think there's that. I think we were a little bit intimidated. I think that there are a lot of other shows we were more excited to talk about, not in like levels yeah. of quality, but it's sort of like it was fascinating for us to dig into really old stuff. We really wanted to talk about like weird ones, like the MTV show and you know unlimited stuff like that. Yeah. All of those seemed more appealing to us. And then you have ultimate here, which is still an interesting show in a lot of ways, but it's also like for our sensibilities, it's a little different. We don't have nostalgia for it either. Yep, so right, it's like, yeah. we knew that it was just going to be a thing to talk about, but all, and, and, you know, and yeah, the 100 episode things, it's sort of like, let's just not deal with how we're going to deal with that. And then <laughs> I will say, like, you know, there in, in 
there were good faith attempts, I think, to start it where we were sort of like, maybe we should go ahead and do Ultimate. And then like literally, every, I feel like a couple of times we would consider starting the show or doing it like as our next show. And then like more news about Drake Bell being awful would come out. And it's just sort of like, maybe we don't feel like touching that. <sighs> and we're just right. going to hold off for a few more months. Yep. Like, I think that happened like at least two times where we were it, considering it starting. It definitely it. did. It absolutely yeah. did. Yeah. And always, you know, and I mean, like, we're going to talk about that a little bit to the extent that it needs to be talked about. Sure. But like... You know, it's sort of like, do you want to deal with the Drake Bell of it all and then stick with the show where he's all over it? Right. Or do you want to just do another <laughs> show where there isn't like, you know, creepy, basically pedophiles? You know what I mean? Like, we're, yeah, <laughs> we're not we're not we're not the show that is going to capitalize on the news story of Drake Bell being absolutely horrible. Yeah. Uh, instead, yeah. we're going to veer off and do something else. <laughs> right. But, you know, we're here now. It needed to be done. And here's the thing, yeah. too. It's the show is an is an interesting spot because there are people of a certain age who hate this show to this to this day will still comment on our feed. People I'm sure have never listened to the show before will just be like, Ultimate Spider Man sucks. Oh, I see this gift of the show. Awful show. I've had people respond. Like, I'll talk <laughs> about like when I don't that happens. when we've talked about the MP not like in the MTV show, it's be like, Well, the real worst Spider Man show is Ultimate Spider Man. And it's just like, I don't care. I, I mm-hmm. literally don't care. But then also Serious there's bones to pick for some reason. Right. And and there's that, but then there's also people who are probably younger who either grew up with this show or, you know, were in the exact right, right place when it came out or just who aren't like weird little nerds and we're sort of like, <laughs> this show's cool. The, I think the, the most recent like Apple podcast review we have right now is literally just someone asking us to do ultimate Spider-Man. Like it's just a go. request to do it. People there, there are, there's, there is a significantly big fan base for this show that exists, which again, makes sense. It was on for like a hundred something episodes. Yeah. Like, it's it's it is 10 it is over 10 years old now so there are people who are little kids when it started that are like adults now you know which is weird to think about but that's the case so what what the 90s show was for us and what amazing friends were for other people and what spectacular was for some some kids ultimate is for them and you know so we've we've got to give it a fair shake um in covering it you know and i mean there's always that what you're talking about which is like every cartoon is somebody's first or growing up cartoon or nostalgia cartoon and i'm sure you'll get into this but this cartoon specific like has a very specific context behind it within the landscape of entertainment that i think also enforces that even more strongly than like us from the 90s being like this is my cartoon right i think that this show really is it's fascinating to look at the creation of it like uniquely fascinating i think because it really says a lot about where you know tv and marvel and superhero media was at the time um and also like a thing that when we get into the production of it you know in in, in a second like I, one of my main things that I just learned just from uh, doing a lot of the research is sort of like everyone who works this show, the, the people who work on this show, I think if you are unfamiliar with it or just like never paid attention to it, you'll be shocked at the caliber and pedigree of people who conceived of this show and were like really behind it. And mm-hmm. so like you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater with something like that if it's not a thing you're going to vibe with, which I'll say up front. This isn't a show for me by a wide margin. I'm I I I mean I haven't watched beyond like a little bit of the first season, and I know that it changes significantly over the over the course of it. I've heard the last couple seasons are like way darker and stuff, which may or may not be a good thing. I don't know. Like for me, it's never going to be a show that I love. However, I do think that this is a show. I also I I do think that there is 
quality in this show and there is a lot of talent in this show yeah oh, um for sure and this yeah. would be interesting because i think i'm probably coming in into it slightly higher than you but in the same category mm-hmm. of like it'll never be something i love it'll never be something i hate um but i have a lot of fun watching it so it'll be interesting to like actually finally dive in the way that you and i do yeah for um, sure to see if any of that changes for either one of us i'm willing to have my mind changed on it because i i I think we've watched about the same amount too which is interesting yeah well i'm curious with you doug i think both of us might have been in the same spot like i i watched it when it first aired originally um and you know the we'll talk about this a little bit but like the spectacular Spider-Man wound was still very raw when this show came out Mm -hmm. and I was a big fan of it. And I knew going into it, like this is going to be a different show. I was prepared for that. I watched maybe the first six or so episodes of it and I was like, okay, I'm not really vibing with it. And then I kind of dipped out, Um, which I would argue is like, a normal calm response to have to a show you don't like mm-hmm. that is very uh, antithetical to how a lot of the internet was at the time. But, um, but yeah, that, that was just my experience with it. And then I think I watched a little bit more of it in preparation, you know, for this podcast and my feelings haven't really changed. It's sort of like, I get what it's doing. Um, and I appreciate what it's doing. It's not real. It just does a lot of, it does pretty much all the Spider-Man sp- stuff that I'm, never been interested in like i've never been interested in spider-man on a team i'm not really super interested when spider-man is like super comedy focused i don't care when he rides a motorcycle that's what all this show is about so like it's just never gonna be for me mm-hmm. um what was what was your experience with it before the podcast yeah well i mean the the interesting thing is i don't and I, i'm glad you brought this up the spectacular thing i didn't have the spectacular context and i wasn't watching it live at the time so when I first watched it, I didn't have spectacular context and I was watching it out of time. So I had the ability to kind of binge it. Um, and I know that I watched a chunk of it outside, I think even the context of doing the podcast. So I'd already watched some of it. And then at some point, because I knew we would need to cover it and I knew it was different enough and big enough that we probably would have to consider like how we would tackle it. I then watched at least as much as I watched the first time. So I've seen into the second season. I just don't remember how far into the second season I got. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and my my sort of um, reaction to it is always like, oh, yeah, this show's funny. Like, I kind of forgot that, like, it's funny and I have fun watching it. Um, and then when I'm not watching it, I kind of forget a lot of the things that happen. So <laughs> I think that's kind of what I mean when I say, like, I don't think it's and, – and who knows? Maybe those those final two seasons will change my mind. Maybe they will make me remember it for all the wrong reasons. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it just – Part of it's probably timing, part of it's probably tonal, part of it's probably, at least from what I've seen, something that felt like it wasn't necessarily, it's a unique show, but -hmm. not necessarily pushing superhero stuff in a unique direction. So it just isn't the kind of thing that I think is ever going to to really latch onto my brain. But I kind of thought that about uh, 2017 too, so who knows? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm willing to have my mind changed and be surprised and like maybe fall in love with it a little more as it goes along. Because yeah, I I don't I wasn't sure how I felt about 2017 when we first started, and then by the end of that first season, ended up like really digging it mm-hmm. way more than I ever thought that I would. So I'm 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 I am so open to having my mind changed, but also. If I if if uh, if my feelings stay the same, it's still just going to be like sure, it'll okay. be fine. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fine. I think if someone <laughs> asked me right now, based on what I've seen, um, and don't let this be discouraging because we haven't seen the whole thing and we haven't done yeah. like our podcast thing on it. But if somebody asked me right now, based on what I've seen, I'd probably be like, yeah, that cartoon's fine. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah. Like yeah. that's I think that's what I'd give them. Yeah, I think it's an inter- I think it's an interesting spot because it's like 
it's like both it's like underrated in some ways because you know it's very people it's hate either it too it is, hard <laughs> i hate it too hard right um it's underrated in some ways but then at the same time it's like yeah but it did get a healthy run of like over 100 episodes mm-hmm. it got it it's i think i mean I, there's there isn't a specific number that tells me this but i really think this is like the highest budget a spider-man show has ever been um before be and after like just from like the um the 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 the, the, uh, the caliber of writers and actors they have on it like the movie connections they keep having in who they pull in and mm-hmm. just the way that it looks like visually like even if it's not you know it, it may not be my favorite show stylistically but i do think that like the animation seems to be pretty consistent and on point and there seems to be more artistry put into it. Not, not artistry. There just seems to be more like um, resources put into it than like the 2017 show that comes after it, for example, which I think looks good often, but also looks cheap often. And I mm-hmm. don't know that this show ever looks cheap. And so, you know, that because of that, it makes it weird that it's like underrated, but also like seems to have had way more support than like any other Spider-Man show ever has from its, you know, funders and stuff. So I I don't know. It's, it's sort of, it was a successful show, so I'm not going to like cry a tear for not enough people loving it either. Um, it's just, it's a weird, it's a weird situation. Yeah. That'll well, be interesting to talk through. Yeah, let's get into the beginning of it, because I yeah. I still don't really know much of where this show, co- I mean, I could guess, but yeah. I don't really know where the show comes from or like how it was born outside of yeah. just like there's always Spider-Man. Yeah, I mean, that that is a big part of it, because there, there always has to be Spider-Man. And this show, you know, it, it is a kind of born out of the fire kind of situation, mm-hmm. because we talked about this on the Unspectacular Spider-Man, but... That show was canceled specifically because Disney purchased Marvel Entertainment. Sony relinquished Thanks, Disney, right? I know Sony like relinquished all the TV rights to Spider-Man, which included animation. Um, so then they could then have like live action Spider-Man rights, basically, right? So um, Disney is able to own um, uh, uh, animation. Sony still owns Spectacular Spider-Man, which Disney doesn't own. So like it's in this weird middle ground where like it can't there can't be new episodes of spectacular spider-man because the people who own it aren't allowed to make a spider-man cartoon so spectacular spider-man just kind of has to be canceled for legal reasons unfortunately um you know and and, i mean maybe there could have been some workaround where it's like what if uh every single person who worked on spectacular spider-man then worked on this new spider-man show that was called something different but was basically spectacular spider-man continuation Mm -hmm. i wish that that could have happened but i'm sure that there's probably some weird contractual stuff that that would stop that from happening or Sony would want there to be a, a paycheck for it or something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, basically spectacular Spider-Man was always going to be canceled and that's kind of what the show is born out of. Right. So there's going to be um, a lot of soreness coming from it, uh, which is a, a, a crappy place to start a new cartoon. If you're, uh, you know, trying to, to, to create something new. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the whole situation with it, like, it wasn't even like it was a it was a big gap or anything like basically there was just a whole bunch of silence about the spectacular Spider-Man. There was never an official cancellation announcement. It really was like remember form spring where people would like submit yeah. questions to people. Mm-hmm. So it was um, Marvel Comics Tom Bravort's form spring. Someone asked about it and he just sort of like said kind of obliquely that was a wonderful cartoon but finished now. And then people were like what, what does that mean? Fit finished. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? It was a cliffhanger, buddy. And then he said, I'm not officially connected to the show, so I can't tell you anything officially. The people connected with it will have to do that. Which, as we know, Greg Weisson was like, 
well, that's news to me. I can't really tell you anything either, but I guess that means we're canceled. (laughs) So shit situation all around, very poorly handled all around. That comes like almost simultaneous with the official corporate announcement of a new Spider-Man series that is going to be based on the Ultimate Spider-Man comics. So everyone's kind of pissed and in a bad mood about this, I think, universally on the internet, right? Um, so I don't blame people for being a little bit, uh, feeling a little, feeling a certain way about this new show that comes out. Sure. Given how badly it was announced, essentially. Yeah. So that, that stuff's out of the way. The actual conception and writing of the show itself, because this is a different kind of show. So in comes producer Jeff Loeb, who is the kind of name that if you pay attention to any like superhero stuff, you're going to hear that name pop up a lot. He has written numerous comics. He's written on shows like Smallville and Heroes. And like probably most predominantly, you're going to see his name all over Marvel's live action shows that came before the the current like phase four MCU shows. So like the Netflix shows, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Runaways, stuff like that. He was in charge or at least predominantly worked on all of those things and And so he's mostly a live action producer, right? So when he comes into this animated show, which he hasn't really done a lot of animation ahead of time, um, he kind of, it's from my understanding, it was his idea to sort of deviate from the writing process, typically of most animation uh, animated shows. So a lot of animated shows, not all of them, but a lot of them, especially like action shows for kids, usually, um, like we'll have a, have a single story editor and then that story editor like kind of assigns scripts to a freelancer as they break it down. Think like what John Semper was doing for the 90s show, what Greg Weissman was doing for Spectacular Spider-Man, and then like what Kevin Chinnick would do yeah. in 2017, right? Um, what's different is that with uh, Jeff Loeb is sort of like a lot, some live action shows, you know, you'll have your showrunner who is still in charge of it in a major creative voice, but typically in live action, it's more of like a writer's room that actually breaks the season collectively, collaboratively. And so Loeb is like, why don't we do that for this show? So the first season of ultimate Spider-Man is basically like, this whole writer's room that comes together, not just writers, but also like Marvel execs like Joe Casada, who at the time was the uh, executive VP and creative director. All of them actually have like this sort of uh, collaborative creative session to decide like what their show is going to be breaking the season and then, you know, delegating out who's going to write what episode. Do you get the sense that that felt like a, a creative team and a creative environment or more like it sounded like corporate involvement element given that this is all coming from jeff Loeb himself that was talking about it i Mm -hmm. think from my understanding i think it sounds like a written by committee kind of thing i think that's the phrase i was trying to think of but couldn't couldn't remember that that's gonna that honestly that feels like what I glean from it. And I feel like my thoughts on this show and why it feels the way that it does is that I feel like this is, you know, this is 2012. So this is like early days of MCU, but Mm -hmm. still when MCU is getting popular. And I do think they really are of that very corporate mindset of like, we need synergy. We need to be, we need the executives and producers to be as heavily involved in the creative process. And everyone is sort of being, making these really calculated decisions for how this is going to fit in our Marvel universe. And I do think that there's a flavor of this show. It's hard to like pin down to me, but that it feels a lot more like it feels clear to me that this isn't a singular artist's vision in the way that like, you know, John Semper and Greg Weissman and Kevin Shinnick sort of had 
influence on their shows. It mm-hmm. does feel like this is sort of everyone kind of the executives kind of collaborative collaboratively trying to like <laughs> calculate what a good Marvel universe centric Spider-Man show in 2012 will look like. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah. I was just curious because like th- it, it, I do think there is a finer line than I think it, it's normally treated as where it's like, you can get a bunch of creatives in a room and it can be like this cool thing. But when those creatives also happen to be like running huge divisions of <laughs> massive corporations, you have to like ask right. the question. Right. Right. And I'll say too, you know, obviously like different show, I'm, I, I'm not working in the industry. I'm not an insider or anything, but my understanding is that like, you know, different shows, writers rooms are going to look a little bit different. Sometimes the showrunner and or story editor, depending on, you know, what their credits as are, are more or less like heavily involved in breaking the overall story. You know, um, I think that the uniqueness of this is that there just isn't really like, I think that there are credited story editors, but it sounds like there aren't really story editors in the the typical sense. It is hmm. more like Marvel executives are having, uh, are, are giving you these ideas and then you guys figure it yeah. out kind of thing. I mean, um, I know yeah. it's not necessarily what you like you would always want from a show, but it, it probably makes this a, a unique entry in, in Spider-Man animation for that reason at the very least. Well, um, I'm very yeah. curious to see what it ends up feeling like with that context. Yeah. And also like a lot of the, the other quotes that I got from again, mostly like, uh, Jeff Loeb and Joe Casada, the producers, not like the creative writers on the show. Yeah. Like most of the interviews are from them. And most of it really is like they wanted to make something unique and different. Like multiple sure. quotes from both of them are saying, you know, they, they wanted to make one feel unique. They wanted something that people hadn't seen before, but still feels very much like Marvel. They were like, there's an IGN art, um, interview where they're sort of acknowledging like there's so many Spider-Man shows. So trying to come up with an idea that's like hopefully unique and a new vision on Spidey is almost a little scary. So how, how are we going to do something you've never seen before? Which like makes sense when you watch this because yeah, there's no Spider-Man show has been this comedy centric or shield centric or team centric as, as, any show that's come before or after it you know yeah I've, i feel like they swung at that in multiple ways like they mm-hmm. they took they did a lot of things that i i hadn't seen and have not yet since seen from spider-man cartoons yeah yeah you know i mean it's a reason why the show is divisive but also like i get it if, if then and if you are coming i'm sure there had to be some awareness that they they were coming off the end of a of a cult favorite Spider-Man show that ended like really it, at a really like a bad place, you know, in, in context of how it was treated and everything. And so I, I think it makes sense to just swing that pendulum really far in the other direction, not even try to emulate what the show before it was doing and just be like, what, what if we did a Spider-Man show that was unlike any other Spider-Man show ever before? And that's how you get stuff like this and like Spider-Man unlimited, you know, like you're going to get the weird divisive shows out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They also like one of the big things, obviously, in this show that's not present in other shows is fourth wall breaking stuff that Peter does. That's another thing that I think is kind of divisive about the show. That's not something that really bothers me. And I think oh, that, a, yeah, the, the thought process makes sense, too, because um, like Joe Casada and Paul Dini apparently like both. I'll talk about Paul Dini in a little bit. That that name's very, very important. But both of them like simultaneously came up with that idea with the thought process being like. You know, we're all relating to Peter Parker. We're all thinking Peter Parker, we could either be Peter Parker or he's our best friend. So why not sort of take that approach where if we're like intimately involved with this character's life, it makes sense for him to talk directly to us. And more specifically, like 
Peter is known in the comics for like clipping, for narrating his life. He's never quiet when he's like swinging yeah. across town. He's known for internal monologues. So like doing these fourth wall breaks are essentially just how do you visualize an internal monologue in, an, in animation? You can dynamically do little animated segments where Peter's talking to you and you see what he's thinking in his head. I think yeah. that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I think, I, I mean... I will surprise myself if I ever get to a point on this podcast where I'm bothered by the fourth wall breaking in the couple times I've watched large chunks of this. It's never bothered me. I think for that reason, like he's such a narrator anyway, that like the only difference really between him fourth wall breaking here uh, or narrating here rather and narrating in like the 90s show is that in the 90s show, he's talking to himself and here he's talking to us in the camera. Like he's doing the same thing. Yeah, I think the, the only times that it bothers me is if it feels like maybe it's a little bit too much back to back sometimes. Um, but I mean, like, you know, that th- also is what it is. It's also like a rapid fire, like high joke rate sensibility that the yep. show has. So, yep. you know, you're going to get it. Makes it real easy to do plot notes for. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I was just going to say that. Like, I mean, Oof. this show, I mean, you've got an easy way to do exposition if Spider-Man can just tell the audience exactly what's happening, what he's feeling like. <laughs> maybe, then, maybe it's not the, the most like artistic writing ever done, but like it, it works. Oh, it's an easy tool. Look, it's great for them, but peek behind the curtain. It sucks for me because when they just like do an, like an exposition dump, I'm like, how do I summarize this without literally just saying what they said? Like it's so like they do such a literal exposition dump so many times that I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah. Just, just cutting the clip, you know, there you go. Exactly. Exactly. All we got to do. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to list some of like the important people that were involved in this. Some of that we'll get to later, but there's some people that like maybe won't come up in the writer director conversation that I think is still worth bringing up because again, I think it would surprise people who is actually working on this show, especially if you're someone who like doesn't really like it or like me, doesn't really vibe with it. Then seeing what they actually like, what the people involved in it have worked on before and being like, Oh, okay. So this was all intentional, wasn't it? So for one, I mean, the writer of the ultimate Spider-Man comic, (laughs) Brian Michael Bendis is involved in this show. He came up when we were doing the MTV show, because that Mm -hmm. also initially was supposed to be an adaptation of ultimate Spider-Man. But as we know, that deviated like pretty wildly far from that concept. And he seemed to have only like kind of written a version of the pilot for that show for this one. Even though this show also is kind of only very loosely inspired on the ultimate Spider-Man comics. There's like, elements from it that that like sort of made their way from one to the other but like plot wise it has fuck all to do with the ultimate spider-man mm-hmm. comics however bendis does seem to be at least in like the first season or two pretty involved in the show he's a producer um he did write multiple episodes as well so you know and i think there are a couple of episodes at least that like do directly adapt at least an issue of of the ultimate spider-man comics so mm-hmm. It is kind of a mostly in name only show, but like at least the original creator is sort of involved in that. Um, So um, another one that is an interesting (laughs) collection of words to see on screen in the credits is a man of action. Mm -hmm. So that's just a pseudonym for a group of writers. I'm not going to talk about them right now. They are producers on the show, but they're, they do write the episode uh, the week after next. So we'll talk about them more in depth because that's going to be like four writers to talk about that are all interesting in their own right. So stay tuned for that uh, in a couple of weeks. Another one I wanted to bring up 
I will call out the um, the Talking Simpsons network of podcasts because I never really paid a lot of attention to this guy, Eric Radomsky, until listening to uh, an episode of uh, their Blabbing About Batman series that they have on their Patreon. Um, and it kind of re- I-, I realized how actually heavily involved this guy is on all the Marvel Disney XD shows, including 2017, just because he's a producer and not like a writer. We never really talked about him, but he actually is very interesting because he's a major force almost to like a Kevin Feige S extent Mm -hmm. from my understanding in that he is like one of the one producer who has been maintaining like his position through all of these shows from ultimate Spider-Man up through the 2017 Spider-Man show. Whereas other producers, you know, like Jeff Loeb or Joe Quesada, like are less involved or, or, or leave, you know, before another show premieres. So mm-hmm. Eric Radomski, like there's a point to a certain point, like some people call these shows, the Radomski verse, though I'll get to that. There's an interesting thing about that phrasing. Um, <laughs> Basically, he's uh, been Marvel's Marvel Animation's senior vice president from 2010 to 2020. Um, he oversaw Ultimate Spider-Man, Avengers Assemble, Hulk and the Agents of Smash, Guardians of the Galaxy, and then Spider-Man 2017. Um, what's interesting about him is that, like, oh, all of those shows, they kind of have a similar vibe, right? They're all, like, kind of comedy-centric. They all kind of look the same. Um what they don't look like would be Batman, the animated series, which Radomski is a credited co-creator and co-producer of and actually <laughs> was responsible for the show's like original iteration, iconic art style. Um, so I think that's sort of interesting <laughs> that like a major creator of Batman, the animated series is like overseeing these cartoons that I think a lot of fans of Batman, the animated series like don't like. I, I just find that kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely see the irony there, but it doesn't surprise me that somebody who is able to have like a really specific creative vision on one thing would have a very specific, different creative vision on a very different property. You know what I mean? But I totally get the irony. That is funny. Yeah. And speaking of Batman, there's another writer who I will talk about a little bit because he actually wrote this first episode. But uh, that will be that'll be its own little subsection to talk about. Now, as for the art for this show. Um, uh, it is kind of interesting. They, they said that they really did, uh, Jeff Loeb specifically said that they really did want to like have, uh, or mimic the tonal flavor of the comics, um, by using actual Marvel comics artists to do the character designs. So, uh, Ed McGinnis, uh, Umberto Ramos, Paolo Rivera, and Stuart, uh, Imanin, who, Eminent had previously worked on Ultimate Spider-Man comics. He was actually the uh, artist that preceded Mark Bagley for a long time. Yeah. So all of, all of those writers were recruited to do the character designs, which, you know, I think makes sense. I think a lot of these character designs do kind of look like what the comics were looking like in 2012. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I think it makes a lot of sense. And also, I think it's just kind of interesting, the animation itself, you know, this this wasn't like an overseas situation. Marvel Animation did it in-house along with Film Roman, which that name some people might recognize because they did the animation (laughs) for many seasons of The Simpsons and King of the Hill. (laughs) so again high pedigree of like everyone working on the creation of this show the other thing that i think is really fun (laughs) and this isn't a thing this isn't a thing that like you or i usually care about but i'm sure there are people on the internet who do and i think it's very funny (laughs) i think it's i think it's very interesting stuff you just don't catch me talking about it much because i feel like it attracts yeah um certain folks who see it differently than i do or see it uh, more seriously than I do. <laughs> yeah. So what we're talking about is this really complicated 
like interconnected Marvel animation universe that there's like basically there's three of them that Ultimate yes. Spider-Man has some kind of connection to and they all overlap in some way. See, and it's the mess funny. is what I'm here for. The mess is hilarious. <laughs> it's so fucking messy. I love it. So, OK, I'm going to try to walk through this. So Ultimate Spider-Man was the first of these sort of Disney XD Marvel shows, right? Um, it's the first of what is dubbed the Marvel Animation Universe, which I listed these show, so shows already consisted of Ultimate Spider-Man, Avengers Assemble, Hulk and the Agents of Smash, and the Guardians of the Galaxy cartoon. At least that's what it initially was intended to mm-hmm. uh, encapsulate, right? There are multiple crossovers linking those shows together where characters appear you know, across the board with them. However... Ultimate Spider-Man gets canceled, but Avengers Assemble and Guardians of the Galaxy are still ongoing. (laughs) Meanwhile, Spider-Man 2017 premieres. Then Spider-Man 2017 crosses over with Guardians of the Galaxy and Avengers Assemble. (laughs) Both ways. Both ways. Spider-Man shows up in those shows. The Guardians and Avengers show up in 2017. This, Love of it. course, right. So the way that that like the Internet, this is this is mostly from like the actual Marvel animated wiki that exists. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that they try to break it down is that <laughs> the fifth season specifically of Avengers Assemble and then Guardians of the Galaxy are looped in with Spidey 2017 as the separate Radomsky verse, which is named after Eric Radomsky, since he was the main creative force present, at least through all of those. And then everything before that, which includes the first four seasons of Avengers Assemble, but not the fifth, are part of the Marvel Animation Universe. I'm sure there are still continuity errors in there, but that's like the best way people have been able to break it down, which is very funny that you have to like separate a season of a show out as being in a separate universe. I find that so fucking funny. It's funny to me because like <laughs> you don't have to. Right. Like it, it all like I know that what is measured as making sense anymore is like strict continuity. But, like, it makes perfect sense to me that there was a Spider-Man show at the start of all this that crossed over with some shows in the middle, and then that show went by the wayside. Those other shows continued, and then they crossed over with the new Spider-Man show. Like, it doesn't necessarily make sense, quote, in-universe, but it makes perfect sense, like, in our universe. Right. (laughs) It's not that hard to wrap a head around. (laughs) Right. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's just funny. Because, you know, I mean, yeah, people, people like... People like to try to make sense of these things that are just nonsensical and all related yeah. to like corporate bullshit. And exactly. Stuff, you exactly. Know? You know, um, sometimes the there other... is no plan, like in the way that yeah. you want there to be one. Oh, God. <laughs> right. Absolutely. The other thing that I love, there's a third universe that exists called that's been dubbed the Christopher Beautiful. Yost. The Christopher Yost universe. This is one that I have never really dabbled in. I've heard it's good, though. I've heard that these shows are good. That I've consists my toe in. They consist of the Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes show, uh, the one that preceded Avengers Assemble, mm-hmm. um, and also Wolverine and the X-Men, and then a few of the movies. They're all overseen by this uh, creator, Christopher Yost. I've heard that they're good. Um, I I don't know, but I, yeah, who knows? Either way, there was a uh, an episode of Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes that was produced before Ultimate Spider-Man had come out. And so it was produced at, between Spectacular Spider-Man and Ultimate Spider-Man. So makes sense that they're going to be like, okay, well, we're going to get Josh Keaton to voice Whoa. our Spider-Man that shows up, right? And and Chris Frios has even said, like, kind of spiritually, it was meant to be the Spectacular Spider-Man version. Obviously, you know, it wasn't Greg Weissman's vision or whatever. You wouldn't yeah. be able to say that it was in the Spectacular Spider-Man universe. But, like, it was being written as a spiritual successor to Spectacular Spider-Man specifically, right? So they record those lines. 
are ready to air that episode with Josh Keaton. But then Marvel's like, ooh, we have this new show called Ultimate Spider-Man, and Drake Bell is in it. Um, we want to have some synergy there. So can we have Drake Bell come in and record all of those lines so it can coincide with our new Ultimate Spider-Man show? <laughs> So that happens, and so the version of Avengers Earth Mighty wow. Heroes that airs is actually Drake Bell playing the role, which apparently Josh Keaton like didn't know about until it aired. Release was the like, Keaton cut. Ooh, wow! So that's not me in here. That's sex. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming he's still got a paycheck for it, but oh, like that I'm blows. Sure. But then that means you know, like kind of, sorta. Ultimate Spider-Man also appears in the Christopher Yost universe yeah. because it is Drake Bell doing his Spider-Man in this, which yeah. is hilarious. That's so like so there's this spider weird Spider-Man thing at the center of like three separate universes that don't make any <laughs> goddamn sense with each other. Now, do people know that these actors also then go on to voice sometimes their same characters and sometimes other characters in like video games. Do they take this into account? <laughs> no. And I don't know. I don't think I don't, I doubt anyone out there is actually considering like the Drake Bell Spider-Man in Earth's Mightiest Heroes to like, I don't think anybody's trying to argue. It's really in the sure. same continuity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just funny that like there's, <laughs> there's a mess of continuity on like both, both before yeah. and after the show is airing just by accident. Like, yeah. you know, just, just because of the desire for corporate synergy, you know? Oh yeah. 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 But yeah, I mean, I, the other thing about this show, it's 104 episodes. It is Ooh. the longest Spider-Man series by a wide margin. The That's second so longest wild. was the nineties show was only 65 episodes. So this is like 50 episodes more than that. Like 50 yeah. plus episodes more, which is, which is wild. So like, this is the longest one. It actually was the longest Marvel show, like just show based off a of Marvel comic ever until Avengers assemble surpassed it at 126 episodes, Whoa. which isn't, which isn't by that much more. So no. like this is still, you know, very close, you know, very close proximity. Second longest Marvel show. I doubt any Marvel show coming on now is ever going to surpass that because everything ends so quickly now yeah. um, and has we such short seasons. So like this will probably still end up being the longest Spider-Man show ever, you know, unless TV changes how it does things again. I was going to say, something's going to have to fall apart for there ever to be, I think, any Marvel television show to come close. Yeah, right. It's wild. Like, we so. will have to live in a post-MCU world for it even to be possible, I feel like. Yeah, which will happen eventually, but it's just a matter of, like, what that looks like on the other to. end of it. It just, yeah. I need to believe it. It will. <laughs> yeah. It's just a matter of, like, what it looks like in, at the other end of that, you I know. know. So, Inconceivable. I don't know. It's it's wild. <laughs> but, yeah. But, I mean, that's that's sort of the legacy of this of that show. It's just, and, and there's plenty of other stuff I didn't really dive into research-wise that maybe will come up in future episodes. Like, oh, sure. I'm not really sure what the thought process was for like the actual shield team they actually acquire. And I feel like there might be some interviews or thoughts of like why they chose the characters they chose and whatnot. Oh, so maybe look forward to that in the future if I find more interesting information, but at least for the conception of the show, this seemed to be kind of the general, you know, the, the general story behind how it is, what it is. Yeah. Works for me. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, let's start talking about this first episode of let's the show. There's still a lot to talk about. There's still a bunch of behind the scenes stuff that I haven't even gotten mm -hmm. to that we're going to get to too. So, <laughs> uh, of course, this episode is available on Disney Plus. We are, of course, talking about Ultimate Spider-Man Season 1, Episode 1, entitled Great Power. Other kids I know start their day with orange juice. 
Me? I get yelled at by a hundred foot tall cranky pants. Where's a little love for the Spidey guy? I'm out here alone every day trying the best I can at this hero routine. It's not easy learning the ropes by yourself. Let's face it, introduction to superheroing isn't exactly a high school elective. Attention, students. Your principal has something to tell you. Students, your attention, please. The school is now under control of the... The... The Frightful Four. Uh, there's only three of you? Quiet! Harry, it's MJ. Can you hear me? Oh, this is all my fault. Mr. Osborne. I'm sorry. Why apologize, Peter? What could you have possibly done? What's it gonna be, Spider-Man? Are you okay with just being amazing, or do you want to be ultimate? Okay, let's do this. Put out the welcome mat, Shield. Spidey's come a-calling. The synopsis per IMDb is one year after becoming Spider-Man, a teenage Peter Parker is approached by Nick Fury to train with S.H.I.E.L.D. The original air date was on April Fool's what? Day, <laughs> April 1st, 2012. Wow. <laughs> what? what? I'm sure some people were watching being like, this is April Fool's, right? This isn't what the real show is. It there's, could be this. <laughs> honestly, there's something beautiful about like the most intentionally comedic spider-man show debuting on april 1st like it, i kind of i kind of love that bit of trivia yeah. it is pretty funny also this is sort of random i don't know if this was a thing that happened very much at the time but it got like a special release on xbox live and the playstation store the day after it aired like did that happen normally um i don't know how normal like that specifically is but i am very aware that there's like an in- there there must simply be an entire population of people who use the playstation store for like movies and television which is a thing i have literally never no, done couldn't but be that me. part no. of the store has never gone away so it must must be lucrative it's fascinating it's <laughs> so fascinating also funny because it if it if this was still a Sony Spider-Man cartoon, they would probably wouldn't have let that on Xbox Live. It probably would have been a PlayStation Store exclusive too. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I thought that was funny and weird. The writer credit. This was the one that I was alluding to because this is a really it. It's so fascinating that this guy is writing the first two episodes of this show. Um, so this episode was written by Paul Dini, and that episode might ring a few bells for you. If it doesn't. Um, he is a major creative force in the comics universe, especially, mm-hmm. especially with DC. So he only writes a few episodes of this show, but he is credited as a creative consultant throughout it. Um, and of course wrote the pilot and helped sort of conceive, um, of like the fourth wall breaks and everything. So he was still a major part of the conception of this show. He was a huge, 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 cannot overstate how huge of a huge part of the early <laughs> years of the DC animated universe. Like to the point that up through like up until maybe like the turn of the millennium, he was basically like they, a lot of fans on the internet just called it the Deaniverse because he was such a major creative force. So he wrote Bat, wrote on Batman, the animated series, Superman, the animated series and Batman beyond. He was also a producer on all of those shows. He uh, wrote and produced the movies that accompanied them. And though I think he wasn't a producer after that, he still would return to write a few episodes of justice league and justice league unlimited. So he was part of the DCAU throughout its entire run in some capacity. 
the most interesting thing I think about his contributions. Just to name a few things, mm-hmm. uh, he co-created Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. That's actually he, why I like. Th- I learned who he was because yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. You know, probably getting Just a lots little of thing. Probably getting lots of great residuals from that character. <laughs> I hope. Right? I hope he had a good contract right. a from that. Check here or there. You know. I hope so. Um, that's that's the biggest one. He also co- he also co-created Terry McGinnis uh, when conceiving Batman Beyond. You know, a little he, footnote on the resume. Just a little footnote. Um, <laughs> he also I, I wrote the Batman episode Heart of Ice, which is the first Mr. Freeze episode, con- completely like conceived and redefined his backstory as a tragic character and then won an Emmy for writing that episode. Um, we won, literally just talked about that. That's wild. We, yeah, yeah. And like, like you, you and know, I off mic. <laughs> right, right. I mean, because it's a fucking great everything that show did with Mr. Freeze. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's all thanks to Paul Dini, really. And, you know, and that was just the first of like many Emmys and Eisner's and Annie Awards that he's won. He's a very, very talented, very well regarded um, creator and writer. Um, and just like some other non DCAU related stuff. He worked with George Lucas in his early career and then like eventually wrote on Star Wars The Clone Wars. Oh my God. I didn't know that part. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fascinating. Just another little thing on the rest. No just, big deal. Just like a thing he did, you know? Another little thing. Just another little <laughs> tiny footnote. Um, he was the story editor on the first season of Lost. Holy fuck. <laughs> Um, he wrote on shows like Tiny Toon Adventures, Freakazoid, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, he wrote the storylines for the Arkham Asylum and okay. Arkham City video games. <laughs> he has written tons and tons of comics. Most recently, this is tragic. He wrote the movie prequel to Scoob, like the Scoob movie. Yeah. He wrote the Halloween prequel that was supposed to come out, but was canceled by HBO Max, despite being mostly completed. I was going to watch that anyway, and now I'm even madder that I can't mm-hmm. watch it. Yep, blows. Sucks and blows. Yep. But yeah, Paul Dini, man. Who would ever guess like the Batman guy, the Harley Quinn guy, <laughs> <laughs> wrote this two-part episode. It's bananas. Yep. <laughs> Pretty wild. Pretty wild. Uh, this episode was directed by Tim Eldred and Alex Soto. Uh, Tim hey. Eldred, we actually we actually talked about him before. He actually directed a few episodes of the MTV Spider-Man show. Um, you can hear us talk about him a little more in depth in uh, episode 132 entitled Heroes and Villains. That was just the first uh, production episode of MTV's Spider-Man. Mm. Uh, Alex Soto, um, he's a new name for us, but it's going to come up a lot because he's actually credited on 65 episodes of this show. And he becomes a supervising director, I think, at the end of this season. So he's a major uh, artistic force on this show. Um, He's known for being the series director on Teen Titans. He directed on the original version of Ben 10 and was a storyboard artist on a ton of shows in the 2000s and 2010s. Nice. The pedigree, Derek. Right? Pedigree. Really incredible. (laughs) Really incredible people. Again, that's why I think the show had such a show had to have a high budget because it really just got like so many of like the best of the best people working on it. It's wild. Well, speaking of best of the best, let's talk about a shithead. Come on, man. Let's talk about an absolute (laughs) shithead. (laughs) Yeah. So character as with any series, especially these more modern ones. Uh, the characters introduced in highlighted lists are very long, so I tried to keep them pretty pretty brief where I could. And luckily, we know several of these folks, uh, mm-hmm. so it wasn't too bad. Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man, is voiced by Drake Bell, who is most known for Nickelodeon's Drake and Josh, multiple DUIs, and creeping on a 15-year-old girl when he was a full-grown man! Yeah, 
okay. I want to I want to just get my Drake Bell thoughts out like Let's right do it. now. Um, so then we don't have to. I mean, it's going to come up. There's going to be times we probably comment on his performance. Yeah, it's going to be complicated. Another, but I'm going to try not to talk. I, I, I don't feel like talking about him as a person nope. beyond this. So just going to get out right now because he sucks. I hate him as a person. I think it made perfect sense to cast yep. him as Spider-Man at the time. I think I think he does have a good voice for it. And I think his performance is good in it. I also think that there's some there's something really funny about he was in the movie superhero movie. I don't know if you remember this, Doug, or if you ever saw it, but I like, didn't, but I do remember so, it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a trend of like scary movie and epic movie, yep. all like the blank movies that were parody movies, superhero movie. I contend. I haven't seen it since it's saw in theaters. So maybe I'd change my mind, Ooh. but at the time, and a lot of other people agree with me that it's actually one of the better ones of that series, mostly because it was aimed at an older, at a, sorry, at a, at a younger audience. And so ah. the humor wasn't as like raunchy. So that meant that they could actually have more fun with it. It felt just more like a Nickelodeon movie, honestly. Hmm. Drake Bell was the main hero in that. And that movie was mostly just a parody of the first Spider-Man. Like the plot was ah. just the first Spider-Man with a few other, other jokes thrown in. Yeah. Um, so there's like, it's kind of, there's like funny, like irony in him that eventually playing Spider-Man. Also fun fact about superhero movie. It was directed by Craig Mazin who then ended up like co-creating and show running um, Chernobyl and currently the last of us. I was just going to say, I know this <laughs> name. Why do I know this name? It's because right? I've been reading fucking interviews from him. Because of The Last of Us. That's wild. Fucking weird, right? <laughs> Sorry. So, I wanted to go down that rabbit hole when I discovered that because I'm no, like, I'm so what glad. in the world? So, That's incredible. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's I, I agree with you. I think Drake Bell was good casting. I think he does a good job. He's a good Peter Parker and Spider-Man. And he's good at this um, type of humor too. Like right. he he it he grew works up for what they're writing for sure. Yeah, he grew up on like sketch comedy stuff. Right. Like he was he started on like the Amanda Show and like the Drake and Josh style of humor. Honestly, is like not that dissimilar from the style yeah. of humor on this show too. You know, yeah, it's pretty pretty simple and like physical humor and just like funny reactions, like awkward, like mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. You know, yeah, it's, it's not the most it's, complicated humor but i think it works for what they're doing yeah it's got an injection of attitude that was very much at home in like nickelodeon uh properties yeah um, i also think it's really important to be able to recognize that like shitty people can be good at things you know what i mean yeah. because like unfortunately if, right right yeah. because because i mean that's that's how and can seem like cool and good and nice like that's how they get away with doing shitty things so i think it's i think it's important to acknowledge that those two things can coexist drake bell sucks as a person yeah um and uh does a good job here unfortunately yeah. i mean fortunately I, I guess the show's not a mess but he is right. <laughs> Right. I also, one other thing about Drake Bell that's a negative thing. This is an anecdotal thing, but it was something that I read. It was someone just relaying what Steve Blum had told them. So it's all hearsay. It may or may not be true, but also it's kind of funny. Um, apparently Steve Blum, who's like a very famous voice actor. I don't know who he voices on this show, but I'm sure we will run into him. I'd be shocked um, if we did not. <laughs> yeah, I think he's in, but he, but I think he worked with Drake Bell at some point on this show at one point or another, but he said he hated working with him because mm. he was like on his phone the entire time and created an uncomfortable tension in the studio. Great. Um, whatever that means. I don't know. And again, anecdotal, but given what we learn about him, uh, you know, what we have since learned about him. Yep. I think it checks out. Seems like he sucks. Seems <laughs> yeah. like he would not be a fun Seems person to be around. Like he sucks. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Yep, 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 so, yep. 
Mm-hmm. I I imagine, um, like you said, we won't have that much more to say about it because it's pretty cut and dry, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've got 104 yeah. episodes of his voice, so it'll probably probably come up here and there, yeah. performance wise. Yeah, performance wise, sure. The only other thing else, uh, actually, I just remembered, I did see him in yeah. concert once, unfortunately. Oh wow! At the State Fair, the Virginia State Fair, he played. Interesting. I think it was around this time, actually, because I mean, I. I was an adult and my little sister who was like a in she was either would have been a preteen or teen. I don't mm-hmm. even remember what at what point, but like in the right age group for that. And I watched Drake and Josh, too. So I was like, yeah, I will take you to this Drake and Josh concert at the State Fair. Yeah. And it was uh, I was probably the oldest person in that audience, <laughs> <laughs> which was weird. Um, yeah. 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 I, uh, I didn't. I didn't see Drake Bell in concert, but I do believe he was arrested in Cleveland. So. I love that. You know. That's the perfect encapsulation of the arc of Drake Bell, isn't it? Saw him in concert in 2012, and then a few years later, he was arrested in my city. <laughs> there you go. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a piece of shit. Anyway. <laughs> well, let's talk about infinitely better human beings than Drake yeah. Bell. Uh, yeah. J. Jonah Jameson is introduced in this episode, and he is voiced by J.K. Simmons, who famously portrayed J. Jonah Jameson, arguably, if not decidedly, the best J. Jonah Jameson yeah. um, in the Raimi trilogy of live action Spider-Man movies and the two most recent John Watts MCU films. Yep. I don't yep. have anything else to say about him. He is J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> mm-hmm. I hope they use him better than they do in this first couple episodes because yeah. it sounds well, like they just got him in the booth for like a day and then had him just record a bunch of stuff that they could just plug in later. Well, but we'll see. <laughs> I know. It, it's so hard to say because it's like I also hope that, but I also wouldn't be surprised if this is what it is. You know, yeah. I, I don't know what to expect. I don't really remember, yeah. Yeah. which may or may not be a good sign. <laughs> um, Nick Fury is introduced very quickly in this series since it do- is a very S.H.I.E.L.D. focused um, and he is voiced by Shy McBride a character actor who's likely best known uh, to folks either as Heavy Gene in NBC's 90s sitcom The John LaRoquette La- Show I think it's Laracat. I can never get the name right, so thank Pretty you. Pretty sure it's Laracat, yeah. <laughs> um, the principal of Winslow High School, uh, which was the setting for Fox's 2000s drama Boston Public, or as Captain Lou Grover in the 2010s CBS reboot of Hawaii Five-0. So he's like a character on like long-ish network television shows three decades in a row. So yeah. I'm sure folks have seen him, but if you don't watch network television, uh, he was like the captain or lieutenant in iRobot. <laughs> he was also uh pushing daisies he was uh oh, he okay. was the um in, in a pi in that show and very good so in, not in even well. just network television right that oh, well, was like a no, cable that was, no oh, that was abc oh, okay. that was abc that's why really? it was wow. canceled so quickly yeah all right well that explains a lot <laughs> um yeah. he's actually voiced nick fury in a lot of stuff he was the voice of nick fury in phineas and ferb the fury files avengers assemble hulk and the agents of smash those last two aren't really a surprise and he does kind of sound like Samuel L. Jackson, uh, but not so much so that it like bothers me in the way that yeah. like Mick Wingert does with Robert Downey Jr. So I think it works mm-hmm. pretty well here. I like he's not doing a, a, a Sam Jackson impression. No, at all. like he just his voice already kind of sounds like yeah. that. So it's a good performance. I, I like him as as Nick Fury a yeah. lot. I think he does. He I does think great it works. As it. Yeah. yeah, that's the perfect way to put it. Mick Wingert is explicitly doing an impression of RDJ and this guy's not doing that. Of- right. Uh, Samuel Jackson. Mm-hmm. We're also introduced to Norman Osborne very quickly. Also worth noting that this guy voices Trapster as well. This is Stephen Weber, 
We mentioned him briefly as the voice of Captain Stacy in Marvel Rising Initiation, which we talked about in our episode 19. Um, I will always associate him with playing Jack Torrance in the 1997 television miniseries version of The Shining uh, that Stephen King made because he hates Stanley Kubrick so much. Mm -hmm. Not Stanley Kubrick the person, Stanley Kubrick's version of The Shining. Which right. is just very funny to me. Well, Stanley Kubrick the person wasn't great either, so he maybe doesn't right. like him either. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, I, Stephen yeah. King, I feel like, goes back and forth sometimes too. So who knows? Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like right now we're in like a good Stephen King moment, but yeah. who knows? Yeah. Um, I just think it's cool because like so many people would never take that role given that Jack Nicholson's performance as Jack Torrance is so iconic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the balls on Weber, I, I admire. For sure. Um, more recently, folks might recognize him as the principal in Netflix's 13 Reasons Why. So that's our Norman Osborn here. Cool. We do briefly meet Otto Octavius, but he only gets a few lines here and there. So we, we'll give him a spotlight in the future. But he is introduced here. Um, Mary Jane Watson uh, is voiced by Tara Strong, who also voices Thundra and probably several other characters throughout the the course of this series. She's voice acting royalty. We've talked about her several times. Um, but I don't. I think the last time we talked about her was as Christina in the MTV Spider-Man cartoon in the episode Head Over Heels, Mm. which we had a lot to say about. Um, Yeah. And that was our episode 138. It's a fascinating episode. It's not a great episode for a lot of reasons, uh, but but Tara Tara Strong is fantastic. She's very good in that. (laughs) Uh, She's provided voices for several Spider-Man video games, including Spider-Man Unlimited, not the show, unfortunately, a mobile (laughs) game. And that was actually when she first voiced Mary Jane Watson. So that's pretty cool. Nice. We get Harry very quickly here. Uh, He's voiced by Matt Lanter, who also voices Flash and Claw. Um, I mean, without a doubt, most famously known for voicing Anakin Skywalker in Star Wars, The Clone Wars, um, which you've talked about on gimmicks, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so check that out. Um, and he continued to voice Anakin Skywalker through, I believe, all other animated Star Wars properties through the present day. Um, yeah. so I think so. Pretty pretty big deal. Um, if you care about other stuff and not Star Wars things, it is worth noting that he played Liam Court in almost 100 episodes of the CW's series, 90210. I didn't uh, realize it went on for almost 100 episodes. Yeah, <laughs> it went the, on for, I, I think, realize, like yeah. 100 and some teen, and he I, was in like 98 wow. of them. <laughs> I had no idea it ran for as long as it did. That's wild. I was surprised. No other, yeah. outside of the original Melrose Place, like no other 90210 show lasted more than like a season. Yeah, that's wild. Huh. But that one did, I guess. Hmm. Um, I didn't think we were going to get Aunt May at first, but we did. She's here. I mean, I thought we'd get her eventually, but not right off the bat. And she's voiced by Misty Lee. Most of her voice acting credits are in video games. She voices Princess Leia in the recent Battlefronts 1 and 2 and Jean DeWolf in the Amazing Spider-Man 2 video game. Uh, but she is relatively new to voice acting. Uh, I think her first acting credits are in like 2011, 2012. Um, I think she's a magician. Like, I think that's what her trade was, Okay, uh, which is incredible. That's cool. Um, she did voice Red Sonia in Red Sonia, Queen of Plagues, which is an animated film. Um, and she just so happens to be Paul Dini's spouse. <laughs> that is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. So that's, a long list of characters and we'll have another not quite as long list for next week but that's who we got so far (laughs) love it love it well cool um yeah 
maybe we should uh, talk about this episode then. Let's do it. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the hour of production. Look. I think it's fascinating. I think it's, I think it's all really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this series opens with Peter Parker having already been heroing as Spider-Man for a year. And this episode specifically opens with Spider-Man saving a police car from smashing through Romita's cake shop, uh, (laughs) which convinces a police officer that Spidey's actually a good guy, despite J. Jonah Jameson's regular broadcasts claiming the contrary, which is a lot of establishing info packed into the first minute, which is very nice. (laughs) Good job, everyone. (laughs) Right. Oh, my God. Sorry. I don't mean to backtrack right after we just got started, but something just clued in with me. Paul Dini's (laughs) married to a magician, and I think that Zatanna was like one of his favorite DC characters because he also like written because I was I was googling because he did write the Zatanna episode of Batman and I remember that there was like a, a, a somebody on the Batman staff like really likes Zatanna a lot and like wanted to pair her up with Bruce Wayne and pretty sure it was Paul Dini and then he got to marry the real life Zatanna that's basically. fucking amazing <laughs> Paul Dini chasing uh, your dreams and catching uh, them beautiful right <laughs> shooting your shot man love it love it <laughs> Incredible. Love it. Anyway, back to the episode that doesn't have Zatanna in it, but is written by Zatanna's <laughs> husband. Yeah, it's a lot. You know what? I do. I really like the opening shot of this episode of Spidey on the Billboard with the light behind him. I think that like visually, the show does some really cool stuff sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and I think it, but it's a very action heavy show, and I think that it does a lot of like dynamic movement and cool looking backgrounds and stuff really well. So. Yeah. That, and that's like right off the bat from the show. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Well, it turns out Trapster, a guy that Spider-Man says he's already fought a few times uh, in this first year, is behind the establishing mayhem. Um, Trapster is a guy in this show who just like shoots glue, I guess. That's like his thing. I don't know if he Somebody's has other powers elsewhere, but that's what he does here. <laughs> It's a funny superpower, so I think yeah. it makes sense for your first villain. I like it. It's the, the oh, I agree. It's like the perfect. If you're not going to use like Scorpion, who I feel like is still one of the like best sort of like early ish mm-hmm. uh, villains to like show off just what a hero can do. I love like a weird offbeat one like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So after a relatively quick and sticky battle resulting in Trapster's defeat, Spider-Man is approached by Nick Fury, director of Shield and Super Spy, and he says, "You know." Captain America could have stopped Trapster in five seconds. You took three minutes with a lot of collateral damage. So establishing sort of a relationship between the two very quickly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yep. I I have to wonder when they're making, you know, they obviously they're not talking about it in, in interviews of like wanting to have corporate synergy or whatever. But I have to imagine when they're making this show, the other thing that that was like unspoken is sort of like. These Avengers movies are really big and S.H.I.E.L.D. is a big part of it. So we don't want to make clear that even though if we can't have Spider-Man in the movies, this is basically going to be what if Spider-Man was in the movies. Right. And so right at the top of this episode, here's S.H.I.E.L.D. and here's a Nick Fury. And it's a Nick Fury that looks like Sam Jackson. Mm-hmm. And you remember what he does? He recruits Avengers. So here we go. Like well, right right immediately off the bat. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and it's I mean, obviously, this is very affected by the fact that like the way that the MCU played out is what it is. And, and every franchise and every person is sort of this like cinematic connected universe minded 
um, like hive of movie going people, uh, myself mm-hmm. included, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, had that not been the case, this still would have felt like it made perfect sense, right? Like, if the MCU mm-hmm. didn't skyrocket into like thirty some movies, and it really was just like the Avengers happened, um, and that was kind of it, and then maybe mm-hmm. there were some more sequels, this still would feel like perfectly in place. You know, yeah. I mean, this comes out like literally like yeah. weeks before the Avengers comes out, exactly. So like, they they don't even know if like Avengers could catastrophic catastrophically flop like they didn't they didn't know i mean right but it's like that was a really high budget movie it was an experiment people were hyped for it but you never know you know you never know what could happen and so i I, they 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 didn't know if that was going to be a thing that would take off in the way that it did um when they were making this so Mm -hmm. I, i do think it was it was actually kind of an interesting swing just to be like you know what we're just gonna we're just gonna hope this is all working out as well as it seems to be working out and we're gonna do it yeah for sure well, Nick Fury offers to help Spider-Man reach the level of folks like Captain America and Iron Man. I think this is where we get like what I thought was an incredibly funny direct like animated scene from Iron Man or Iron Man 2 or something where he's like trying to fly and sucks at it. See, I didn't really like it because it was just literally the same joke from the movie exactly. But it's like, so I, funny. It, <laughs> it, it was funny. It's a it's funny on its own. It's funny in the movie, but I guess it was just sort of like Okay, it just felt I've seen that already. Like it felt it felt like you're just cutting away to a movie I already saw just to remind me that this is kind of basically like trying to match what the movies were doing. I don't I know. Think, that I, didn't really do it for me. I think if they did it more I'd be bothered. Um, but I'm okay with it. I still maybe it's it, me personally that's still like one of the funniest moments in the entirety of the MCU to me. So it was just like reminding funny, me of yeah. a thing that I thought was hilarious. That's fair. I guess I don't really <laughs> I don't get a lot out of just being reminded of stuff I liked in like movies that I liked already, like without really doing anything I mean, interesting with it. I think I'm not I, saying I'm, I am necessarily either. I don't want it to be like every mo- like every episode they remind me of like a mm. MCU thing. <laughs> that's that's true. I they they do show a lot of restraint with not making a lot of references. I do wonder if this if this show had been made a few years later. And but was still trying to do what it was doing. If they would like try to hammer in even more MCU references, they it does have. feel they like might it, have done like that sort of like here's what was happening in the background, but an animation, right? It does feel like they were showing restraint. Where like that's kind of your one actual direct MCU like homage that that is that explicit. Everything else isn't really is kind of its own thing. So mm-hmm. I, I'll give them I'll give them that that they were showing yeah. a lot of restraint. They can have one, right? Yeah, for sure. They can have for sure. One. <laughs> Um, what's interesting is Fury reveals that he knows basically everything about Spider-Man already. So he calls him Peter Parker. He knows exactly which buttons to push as far as like responsibility, right? Spider-Man. Um, and I think they even talk a little bit about uncle Ben. I think we get a flashback here, uh, of the origin story, uh, or at least a little bit of it. We will certainly get more of that along the way. There's little shades of this show in this first episode, first two episodes, I guess, that like surprise me with like the darkness of them within it. Like with the Uncle Ben flashback, like, you know, in the 90s show, it would just be broadly just like, well, when I lost Uncle Ben or whatever, and you don't really see it, like you see a close up of a gun with a silencer on it, shooting it like a real looking gun, shooting uncle ben off screen with like a real gun with a silencer sound effect like it's like pretty explicit 
like not that it's like the most the darkest thing you've ever seen in a Marvel show or whatever, but like it almost like took me aback a little bit considering how like light and funny and then it's just sort of like and then Uncle Ben died and we were all sad and here's him literally getting shot on screen. Like I, th- I, th- I that was pretty wild to me. Yeah, well just like I get my one MCU uh reference, Paul Denny said we had so many guns in Batman, you gotta give me one. <laughs> right, right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, it is wild. It's I think it's made even a little bit stranger that because this show is very inclined to flashbacks and cutaway humor, that it really is just like a pretty brief, like brutal moment. And then it's like back to the conversation at hand. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is just Spider-Man like, man, that sucked. Worst day of my life. Oh, here's another fun joke. Like, um, okay, buddy, there's some trauma you're not yeah. dealing with there. It sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> I do think the show, and this will be interesting to track as we go through. I do think the show typically moves fast enough that it's not like, disturbing until you like stop and think you know yeah it's sort of like oh okay yeah i'm I'm with you i'm with (laughs) you right right (laughs) so nick fury even offers spider-man like a a taste of what it would be like to work with shield he gives him a high-tech shield developed web shooter um but all of this involves spider-man still is like no thanks i don't think it's for me like i'm doing my thing and it's fine yeah makes sense it's pretty typical spider-man reaction to this sort of thing yeah i think so Mm-hmm. so then we cut to norman osborne who is recounting to otto octavius we're gonna have to talk about this otto octavius design at some point we will at some point but we haven't gotten really a we full look barely, at it we I barely think you yeah, and i know shadow. what to expect but he's if just people haven't watched beyond this episode it's just sort of like what are they doing here it definitely is a what are they doing there here question, yeah. that's for sure. Um, but he's regarding to Octavius, this plan of his to figure out Spider-Man's powers and replicate them into an army of superpowered spider soldiers that'll sell to the highest bidder. Not not too dissimilar from what we got in the what we will get in the 2017 show afterwards sure. with the sort of spider army idea. Except in this case, it's not like Norman Osborn is trying to really do anything with it himself rather than just like just sell it for money, which mm-hmm. is almost like even more evil than what the 2017 version was doing. Yeah, he's just like a really like extremely horrific arms dealer. <laughs> right, right. It's literally selling people. Yeah. Um, human trafficking arms dealer. Oh wow. Worst of both worlds, man. Uh, yeah. So it's clear that Norman is aware of Fury's attempts to recruit Spider-Man somehow because he says as much. Um, and it's clear he's been working on his plan for some time as Otto ends his conversation by saying he'll inform the remaining allies to begin phase two. So this is like almost kind of Imidius rest for the, like the villain story. Kind of, yeah. Basically. Kind of. It is It is interesting because, I mean, I think Spider-Man calls out. He's been Spider-Man for a year, right? So mm-hmm. like this is like we can imagine that there have been more Spider-Man-y, typical Spider-Man types of adventures that have already happened, and we're entering it in this point of his life where things are just going to change drastically and become not typical Spider-Man-y adventures. So. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's not. It's definitely not surprising given how many Spider-Man stories there have been and how many origin stories have been told however many ways that this show decides to start a year in and just like basically like basically they're like you get spider-man right so like here's what you need to know for this story <laughs> like- yeah pretty much yeah mm-hmm. so later that morning at midtown high peter's friend mary jane 
asks him why he hasn't been answering her calls because she doesn't know he's Spidey. Um, and this, I think, for for fun context, this is like definitely a thing that they lifted from the Ultimate Spider-Man comic specifically because in that comic they're like best friends since childhood, and you know there's probably like mutual maybe romanticy thing, but also not like super strong. In the comic, I think it's even stronger than it is in the show. In the mm-hmm. show, it's more of a best friend thing than they don't even really tease romantic stuff in this other they, than like a joke about it. Yeah, they, they do like a little cute like. I, I couldn't remember exactly what the status was for them. So they do this cute little cutaway where they do like the chibi versions, which we'll see a lot in the show of them like kissing. And then because they're kids being like, <laughs> like yeah, I thought it was yeah. cute. It is cute. <laughs> but yeah. So she shows Peter a video of Jameson ranting out Spider-Man and is like, I want to work for that guy someday. <laughs> Like, okay, MJ, sure. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's another thing that's right from the Ultimate Spider-Man comics is that that version of MJ is a journalist or uh, wants to be a journalist. So makes sense. Um, but uh, she says that because, like, well, not everyone has an easy ride like Harry Osborne, which cues Harry. Uh, from <laughs> <laughs> Walking <laughs> down the hall, popular guy. <laughs> yeah, Harry's the cool. This is this is this is again funny that it comes right after Spectacular Spider-Man <laughs> because it's like that version of Harry is just like, oh, he tries so hard, but such a loser. And then this Harry is like the coolest hot guy that everyone loves. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> everyone loves Harry. Harry loves Peter. Harry and Norman don't get along. Peter thinks Harry should appreciate Norman. Peter never knew his dad. Norman loves Peter. Peter and Harry are best friends. Rapid fire. They establish all this in like one conversation in a limo. Yeah. Like yeah. if you and know Spider-Man they... stuff, you basically are like, ah, yes, this from over here, this from over here, this from over here. I've got the recipe. Here's what we're eating today. <laughs> like... But also that limo, like they established that that's kind of when they first met. It's yeah. just like, like, oh, we know it of each other from school, but I just right. met you guys. But here's the vibe that I'm getting from your relationship. Yeah. And then they just sort of like psychoanalyze each other. It's really bizarre. Yeah. Like... There are <laughs> one of the downsides. And I think, again, the show moves so fast and the tone of it is what it is that it doesn't necessarily feel that bad in the moment but one downside for the show doing so much exposition so early is that some of the conversations these people are having like in their universe are so bizarre you know what i mean where you're like yeah wait why are norman and otto talking to each other like this if they've been having this conversation for six months it's like oh that's right because we have no idea what's going on <laughs> yeah it's also that one that one's sort of weird too because they've just been doing you know these little montage flashbacks to explain yeah. the relationship and it's weird that it's sort of like well this time we're gonna have the exposition by them telling it to each other in a limo and it's like or you could just have peter tell it to us Mm-hmm. To the audience directly, like he's been doing. Why did you do it differently this time in like the most clunky, awkward way possible? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. We also, I mean, speaking of montages, we get a brief interaction there between Flash Thompson and Peter, which includes a montage of Flash Thompson repeatedly shoving Peter in a locker. Um, and all this really, I think, kind of exists one, to set up a joke. Um, and two, to allow a Stan Lee as janitor cameo as soon as possible. Yeah. I mean, it establishes that Flash will be a part of the show to some extent, but yeah. doesn't, it doesn't mean much to this episode. Yeah. It's not <laughs> even like it's more. I, I, I think the, the little montage is cute and funny. And oh, yeah, I'm, for sure. I'm glad it doesn't go on for very long. Yeah. I think it goes on the exact right amount of time. Mm-hmm. I like when he says Feliz Navidad in a Christmas hat. <laughs> I think that's funny. <laughs> This, it's, I gotta say, yeah. okay, so this is this is a little odd because you and I have never covered a show that mm-hmm. is trying to pack as many jokes and gags in as possible, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I know that you have listened to people on podcasts talk about shows that do that. Um, uh-huh. So I'm going to need to like find well, my legs on like what to include and what not to include sometimes. But it's hard though with this because a lot of the ones, I mean, I listen to like stuff like The Simpsons and mm-hmm. a lot of those times you have to actually like part of the fun is diving into the joke because it's making like a reference to an old movie or like these Harvard writers that are making some obscure <laughs> literature reference that yeah. you don't get. Like th- it's not that kind of humor. I think it's kind of hard to talk about this kind of humor because the joke is just the joke. The joke is flash tops and slams yeah. Peter in the locker a bunch of times and there's not much more to it. And why would we sit here explaining the joke that everyone's going to get? Like it is, it is kind of challenging to talk about humor. That's not that, complex or layered like intentionally it's weird because like you could argue that this has to be here because flash thompson will play a role in the series but like it doesn't need to be in this particular episode so like it is just a joke i don't know it's 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 kind of a weird thing to deal with because like there have been plenty of cutaways already that like we haven't stopped to talk about and i think that's just going to be the nature of talking about that's fine a lot of them you don't if we tried to do that it would be too. I don't want. Oh to spend yeah, that no, much for sure. Spider Man. I, I would also lose my mind trying to make any sort of notes for that. This is when a little cheapy Spider Man makes... spins a wheel that says "Hooray!" <laughs> cool. Thanks for the podcast, yeah. everyone. It'll probably come up if I laugh. You know, like genuinely laugh yeah. out loud, or if it feels yeah. like it will eventually matter. Not that this will yeah. eventually matter, but introduction to Flash Thompson. Yeah, and the Stan Lee thing. It's. I mean. I this is a minor spoiler. It's like more than a cameo. He's like a he's just a straight up character he in is. this show. Yeah, like he, he appears in many episodes, which I think is sort of fascinating that they did that. I don't mind that use for him. I think it's kind of it's a funny play like on it's almost like a weird like subversion of the cameo thing, which is sort of like, here's your fun Stanley cameo, and here it is again, and here it is again, and here it is again until he's just a character. Like mm-hmm. um and I well, do like appreci- the, the people in the show like know who he is because he's the janitor of the school. And if you think about yeah. like most of Stanley's cameos, he's not someone people know. He's just like a guy in the background who gets a line. Yeah. Except for the time he was Hugh Hefner, which was sort of an odd That was choice. a little strange. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. And I do, I like that, like the Irving Forbush reference, like they give him actual Marvel (laughs) specific references. So he gets a little more than just, you know, saying a a funny, like it's more than saying a funny thing. It's actually like, you know, obviously people who like love the lore of Marvel, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, at lunch, the Frightful Four, of whom there are only three members, Wizard, Claw, and Thundra, attack the school. And Wizard says that in Spider-Man's earlier battle with Trapster, who turns out to have been their fourth member, uh, in that battle, Trapster learned that Spider-Man attends Midtown High and that the group is going to tear down the school brick by brick until Spidey reveals himself. Yeah. I really like... I wonder if we're about to say the same thing. I just said that anytime something makes me laugh out loud, that's when I'll mention the joke. Oh, yeah. I fucking love that Wizard says he'll tear the school down brick by brick, and there's just a kid who's like, yeah! (laughs) I did laugh at that. I did laugh at that. And then it's like, oh, when he realizes, like, Like, oh, wait, no, you mean like for real, actually. That's actually a tragedy. Whoops. It's just like, it's like such an incredible line delivery. (laughs) Yeah. It's so good. That yeah, though that kid is like that the the uh, the emphatic enthusiasm. Yeah, it's like, like the, it's like that gif of the kid at the baseball game with cotton candy. Like it's just so intense. It's like yeah, ah! yeah. 
That wasn't even going to, I did laugh at that. I like that joke a lot. That was perfectly timed too. The one that I laughed at a lot was when Peter is, you know, explaining who all these Frightful Four members are and he gets to Thundra and says, Thundra, wonder or warrior woman from an alternate future timeline. Don't ask. Like, <laughs> thank you. Cause I don't know what that means. Guess what? Right? I don't fucking who care. Cares? <laughs> who cares? We can see what <laughs> she can do. Like, right. That's all that matters. I don't yeah. need this lady's fucking backstory. <laughs> How many people are listening to the fucking Frightful Four as their favorite yeah. villain team? Like, whatever. Literally I appreciate no. that this, I appreciate that this episode, like, it throws out, like, I, they're probably not the most obscure Marvel villains, but they're not, they're pretty. They're I, they're probably pretty obscure. They're yeah. not going to show up at any movies. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I appreciate that, and I guess it's sort of like it kind of plays into this this idea. You know, if they're they're trying to make a Spider Man show that's much more in the wider Marvel universe than I think any Spider-Man show has ever been before. I think it's sort of like, this is sort of their proof of concept right off the bat. Like Spider-Man's first group of villains is not, uh, is not actual Spider-Man villains. They're just like people who were, are, are, what are, are Frightful, I'm assuming Frightful Four are Fantastic Four villains because they're Frightful Four, but I don't actually know. No clue. I'm assuming it, this is like a version of Claw that we know, right? Like Claw, Black Panther, enemy claw oh i guess so yeah i didn't even make that connection i don't know i don't think the frightful four are definitely spider-man villains so the fact that they're just throwing out a collection of marvel villains that aren't your typical spider-man like you said like scorpion or whatever you know it's sort of like their statement of like this is going to be a spider-man show where we're not necessarily concerned with sticking within the realm of spider-man yeah. itself we are gonna dabble all across all across the uh, the marvel universe which you know if you really want like a quintessential Spider-Man show, you're obviously not going to get it out of that. So at least like it's kind of out of the way <laughs> right, yeah. at the, right at the top here. For sure. For sure. What do you think of, um, I, we saw something kind of like this in one of the anime we watched, but mm -hmm. what do you think of the like title cards for new characters that get introduced? Oh, I think it's helpful because it helps you remember their names. <laughs> Perfect. I think they're fun. I think it helps establish the tone of the show and like keeps the pace correct. I but would not know a single name of these frightful fours uh, <laughs> if they did not spell out on the screen who they are yeah. personally. So <laughs> very helpful. Iconic villain wizard. <laughs> right, wizard. Yeah, great genius name. Um, it's probably also helpful for the little children who are watching it. So me, the adult man and the little children thank the, the creators of the show for putting characters names on screen. It's very helpful. I wonder how long that lasts in this show. I, I, do you think it goes for all four seasons? I doubt it. It's got to be I mostly this first season, right? And I, I think that a lot of stuff, my understanding is that a lot of stuff kind of shifts and changes with that, which each, with each passing season. Mm -hmm. um, I think the cutaways are always there, but I do think all of this, all of this extra stuff is probably lessened yeah. as it goes along. Cause I think the show just generally gets a little more serious uh, as it goes along, which again, I don't, we'll, we'll see how that, if how that plays out. Yeah. But um, I feel like yeah. I want to like, uh, like mark down certain things and try my best to like track when they finally fall off you know what i yeah. mean like, like when's the last <laughs> time we see like chibi spider-man you know right like does right. Do, does the chibi spider-man make it through four seasons or is that one of the things that gets cut <laughs> yeah we'll see we'll see yeah we'll have to make some good mental notes for this one yeah because it's gonna be a very long time Ooh. before we yep. get to future seasons potentially yep. <laughs> at the rate we're going oh yeah well, when Claw begins to tort like literally torture everyone in the cafeteria with his weird like sound stuff that he does, 
Um, in an attempt to gather information, Peter does intervene and says he'll be the one to talk. Like, it's you want information? I got it for you. But instead starts a food fight, which I think is a great solution. <laughs> I like it. I think it's very clever. Yeah. yeah. It creates havoc. It it like um it confuses the enemies and it gives him time to sort of sneak off, suit up, and like gather himself for a moment and figure out like how they even got to Midtown, which it turns out um was because Trapster planted a tracer on him in their battle earlier. Yeah. Yeah. It also gets like the the students and other characters involved yeah. in the fighting back. I think that's always really fun. I do love that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, he, this gives him a second, like we said, to, to suit up as Spider-Man, so now he can clash with Claw and Thundra, and while he does, Wizard reports back to Otto and Norman, who confirms Spidey's location, so... Otto asked Norman if they should like destroy Midtown High to eliminate any of the witnesses. What you know, the no big, fuck, no big deal. That Just is, kill a bunch of children. That is, that's too much. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I. I don't think I like this Otto. Very I was much. gonna say we don't know anything about this Otto yet, and I feel like I don't like him. Yeah, kind of. Um, kind of putting me off. <laughs> Not even just year. because like because of that suggestion, but because Otto Octavius making that suggestion is so weird. Yeah, you know? what if we just kill literally a school full of children and teachers? <laughs> because you know, witnesses? No like, what do you mean witnesses? It's a fucking supervillain attack. Like, they're all. Uh, I'm sure many people in the surrounding area can report on what's happening. What are you talking yeah. about? Are you going to nuke the city? Like, well, I don't understand. It doesn't make yeah. any sense. Very dumb. Uh, <laughs> of co- but of course, Norman's like, no, you fucking weirdo. What are you talking? No, actually, I'm sure he probably would be fine at murdering all the students. It's mostly because Harry is a student there. Yeah. And he doesn't want Harry yeah. to die. <laughs> yeah. We can't have that, Otto. Oh, my God. Um, Yeah. So cool. <laughs> but uh, Norman's rushing to the school now because of that. Also, there's just like a little bit where Flash is like, hey, Spider-Man, I'm your biggest fan. I want to help. And Spider-Man's like, you can help by stuffing yourself in this locker. And Flash is like, all right, cool. And he does. <laughs> all right. It's funny later, I think. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have any issues with it. I think it all, it all makes sense. I, you know, I, I like my Flash to be a little more nuanced and maybe it will be later at this point. It's just a bully that's getting bullied back and that's about it. Um, yeah. That's yep. the joke. <laughs> I think... It's, I guess there's something nice about the fact that, like, if he's going to be a straightforward bully, he's also kind of just a full dumbass. Like, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. You know? We'll see. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. I doubt it'll stay here. No. I I'm pretty 100% <laughs> sure that it's not going to stay here. Yeah. Well, Norman Osborn is right to worry because in the midst of the brawl, Claw attacks Harry because Harry's like, I am going to not let you hurt people. Sure. Um, and I think he ends up like knocked out. Like he's in pretty bad shape. Yeah. And it, when, be, when it becomes clear that Spider-Man has gained the upper hand, Wizard is like, fuck it. I'm going to use students as a human shield, um, which is pretty messed up. So I guess I, I guess it makes sense that these are Otto's guys. <laughs> like They're totally cool. Just like beating the yes. shit out of teenagers. Yeah, apparently. Um, nonetheless, Spider-Man outsmarts him, and when the police begin to arrive, the remaining Frightful Four just run. They just leave. They're like, fuck this. I think they say we didn't sign up to fight the police. Yeah. Which yeah. is so weird. You're, 
you, but you did sign right. up to fight a bunch of children. Like, actually, I it's mean, kind of perfect. Like they they yeah. kind of are like a shitty superhero team or, or supervillain team, right? So it's like, yeah, they'll pick on a bunch of like teenagers in a cafeteria, but like the police have guns, and so they're That's like, fuck it. <laughs> really good point. Actually. actually, yeah, I guess it's better than I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the wake of their fleeing, Norman arrives to find Harry in very bad shape and Peter apologizing, which he sort of dismisses, partially because like there's an emergency with Harry, but also because Norman's like, well, what were you supposed to do, Peter? Um, yeah. Which is kind of one of those moments where Peter's kind of walking a fine line between his secret identity and not. This is where I think the Flash Thompson thing gets funny because Peter walks away from that interaction, sort of like (laughs) beating himself up, and he walks past the locker they told Flash to get himself into. And you just hear Flash whisper, Spidey, I'm ready. (laughs) Just waiting for a cue. (laughs) Such an idiot. I like that. It's cute. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but later that evening, we get more of uh, J. Jonah Jameson's rants because uh, he's reporting that Spider-Man led the Frightful Four's attack on the school and calls for law enforcement to use any means necessary to stop him. So that's distressing. Peter re- returns home <laughs> and he's greeted by Aunt May, um, who he, he, he hammers right in. Uh, you know how like the comics version of me has an aunt who's like doting and like really uncool and like this old lady. No, she's so cool. You know how cool my aunt is. You guys, she works, which I love that he starts with that. Like she has a job. She like, has a job. Okay. Like how they really came for aunt May's yeah, jugular here. It's fucking weird. Honestly, I was, cause they really don't even say what she by. does. They just say that she works. And they just show her like just typing at a computer. Like, oh, what does that mean? Like, is what it, do you do? It's really weird. Yeah, no, I was very put off by this. It's like she works, she does yoga, she cooks, she joined a bowling league, and I'm like, she sounds like a normal per- like what do you yeah, I'm what do you okay, fine. They're just She's such like, funny ways to dig at this like old, almost always dying old lady from the comics. Yeah. I mean, like, granted, sometimes up man the comics is a little bit. Yeah, annoying. she sucks sometimes. She sucks sometimes, but like Jesus Christ, like you really have it out for this old lady. Like my aunt is so this version of Aunt May would fucking slaughter your dumbass version of Aunt May. My Aunt May could beat up your Aunt May. <laughs> yeah, it's so fucking weird. Like, oh, okay, guys. All right, cool. Yep, you're a hip new adaptation of Spider-Man. Congratulations. What the fuck? So funny. Yeah, I, I do I do like I do like the um the sort of like added explanation of just sort of like, oh, she's yeah. be- because of that, she's so busy, so I can come and go with my spidey business with no trouble which is like kind of fun because that that immediately you know eliminates that tension so you don't have to worry about those storylines like other shows have done like i think spectacular spider-man handled the aunt may stuff extremely well but Mm -hmm. the show is not interested with peter having a curfew or anything so this sort of eliminates that and lets him sort of do whatever he wants without you asking questions of how he can be out as late as he is so yeah and it doesn't like automatically close doors right like you can still work with that especially if she is out and about or if she does have a social circle um, or whatever the case may be. Like, there's plenty to do with that should you should you need to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, we got this weird cut. I was confused by this. I felt like you were, too. It's like, because then he's talking to Aunt May or whatever. They reference, you know, the fact that there was a supervillain fight at the school. Which I feel like Aunt May is a little bit too not, like, upset about. She's like, oh, yeah, I heard there was some trouble at school. And I'm like... Trouble is in like a bunch of supervillains tried to kill a bunch of kids and like broke a hole in the wall and like almost <laughs> killed your son, a nephew. Okay, 
I guess through that chill. But anyway, uh, you know, that, that that's just a segue for Peter to like ma- mention how Harry was hurt in that situation, which then like does this weird cutaway to a completely different scene that goes on for a while. It's not like it's, it's not, not like, like a Peter cutaway just, joke. Right. It's like it feels like this scene should have just come before the Aunt May scene. Like, I, I don't understand why they did this. I agree. It's really strange. They cut in the middle and then they're eventually going to cut back to Aunt May. So it's mm-hmm. really strange. But either way, we cut back to what seems to be just earlier that afternoon where Peter is checking on Harry in the hospital. And okay, the fucking fake out with the heart monitor, like he's just like, Harry was severely hurt. And then it cuts to a heart monitor, like flattening out as if Harry died only for them to just like wheel it away. And then he's just sitting in the hospital bed. Like, I'm fine. <laughs> like, why did you, I don't what? know what a mean, I mean, like not that we're yeah. expecting Harry to have died, but it's like, well then why did you even do the fake out? Like, I don't understand. I, I don't know. It's really strange. And it's another like bit of like weird darkness in these jokes that like just feels sort of odd to me. Like not bad. I just don't quite understand what they're doing with that. (laughs) I think it is a sort of like jokes per minute thing without them having fully found like the footing of what jokes to include and what jokes to leave on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Because don't get me wrong. There there have been versions of that joke that I've seen in other things that I, I think when that joke is well executed. Sure. It can work. It can be great. One of my favorite jokes in Buffy has a character, you know, if you're watching, that's a show where characters do die and one of the supporting characters that could reasonably die is like severely injured and looks like she's died on screen and then they cut with sad music like overarching orchestra cut to a scene of a funeral <laughs> oh and like the people like in the cemetery and and like hold on there for a while and then pan over to like Buffy and Willow walking and then they're just like so Cordelia is going to be okay right that's what they that's what we heard and it's like oh my god and it's just just for the cruelty of it and I think it's so well done because it's such an unexpected joke and like that just you know works with your expectations of how storytelling works like i think that i think it works really well as mean as it is with this one it's like the first episode of the show right i don't know weird (laughs) well one it hasn't it if this were the show to do that joke and i would argue it isn't it hasn't like earned like I guess the trust of the audience to do the joke yet, you know what I mean? Or it hasn't even not even to the trust of the audience. It hasn't like established a relationship with the audience yet to like yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. and it's not and it's the so show quick. to do it. Like it's, no. it's so weird, and it's so quick too. Like you, if you're not paying attention, you're not really going to notice it. Right. But if you are, you're going to be like, "Excuse me, what are you doing?" <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So goofy. bizarre, bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. On top of the fact that this scene's just totally out of place. Yeah, right. It's just you're just completely discombobulated when you're watching it. (laughs) Oh my god. They pack so much in, and like part of me admires how much they manage to jam into their first episode exposition wise (laughs) while still actually having a story in the first episode. But you can definitely tell, mostly at this point, um, that like they were jamming a lot into one episode. They're really, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of, it's, it's funny too. I remember when we watched the first episode of spectacular Spider-Man, that's also an episode that really just zips through a oh my ton gosh. of information yep. and it introduces a ton of characters, uh, you know, and it's not, it's one of the, I, I would, I think because of that, it's one of the weakest episodes of the show, even though I think it's a good, like first episode, it's not as strong as most episodes because it has so much to work through. I still think that it kind of, 
at least like I feel like at least like you can track where you're going because you're basically going throughout Peter's day in that episode. And in this one, I do think it's kind of at a disadvantage that it feels the need to cut back and forth so much through stuff, which especially considering it does have the device of Peter being able to tell you stuff directly to the camera. It's weird that they jump around so much within the context of the actual scenes that are happening, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I don't think they, I think they cut a, I think they jump around too much, but I don't actually think they do it that much. I just think they don't need to jump around at all in this episode. Yeah, you know what I, I mean? I think that's exactly what it is. Um, yeah. So it's not like if you took all the pieces of this episode, all the scenes, all that sort of stuff, most of them line up perfectly. It's just very fast and the cuts are abrupt. It's just yeah. for some reason they thought they could get away with doing a few things out of order and they just didn't need to. Didn't need to. Especially because yeah. like you said, this scene could have just bumped up been bumped up one and it would have not have thrown anything off. Right. I think they just really wanted to have a hospital scene early when it's kind of like absurd that Peter would be able to visit Harry in the hospital so quickly anyway. Not to get like weird and like um, nitpicky about it, but like it just, you didn't need to have it. (laughs) You could have called him on the phone. (laughs) That's actually, yeah, that's actually a good point. But then they couldn't have done the heart monitor joke if they they just called him on the phone. (laughs) Do it next episode when we get what the show is. (laughs) Yeah. Or don't do it at all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I guess the only piece of information we get from that hospital scene is that Norman is specifically like asking questions um, about this stuff, right? Mm. Like, yes. But, so, like, I mean, but even then, is it really relevant to anything? I mean, no. I guess it's to to let Peter maybe. Put, no, yeah, actually, no. no, it's not really relevant I don't, to anything, is it? I don't think it's worth it. There, I did laugh not at the cutaway, but I did laugh at. <laughs> at Drake Bell's delivery of I think he sits next to me in Spanish and then being like oh wait no sir I, I've never heard that like yeah there is a good juxtaposition of like I've got a zinger and then realizing like this isn't the time for a zinger the <laughs> yeah. actual cutaway sucks but like his yeah the the joke there is funny yeah no, but again I, I doesn't agree. justify the scene being here no yeah I think you really could have cut this entire thing whole thing actually yeah, I, I guess the only other thing that the only I, I do think that they wanted to make Harry having been hurt in Spider-Man's kind of fumbling of this whole scenario is a major reason why Peter feels like he failed and then will then go to shield. But you sure. still don't really need the hospital. I guess they felt like they needed I think the that hospital was scene established. To really right. I, I, I guess they felt like they needed that to really hammer in like. Sure that Harry really was hurt. But yeah, I don't know that you really needed it because the whole fucking school got like demolished in that right. situation. Like, yeah. I, I think that we got that Peter's going to be feeling guilt from that situation. Yeah. It's a good point though. I can see the rationale when you put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you said, it does. I mean, we talked so much about this scene that neither one of us even thought needed to be here uh, because it cuts <laughs> right back to the Parkers um, and may remarks that if they had the Osborne's money, she would take Peter right out of that school and put him into a private school. Sure. <laughs> like, I'm sure that oh, would help. Oh, okay. I'm sure that would be great. Um, <laughs> ju- fast forward a few years and watch Horizon High get oh. demolished by a kaiju, May. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> She then, and this is actually like kind of devastating. She then asks Peter to put the candles on the cake. And Peter's like, the cake? What cake? And then remembers that he was supposed to pick up a cake that he promised to grab for presumably Uncle Ben's birthday. I don't think they actually say birthday, but that is 
I believe what it is. I think so. That was the vibe that I got. Yeah. yeah. And that yeah. anything like that really all like that always breaks my heart. Like even in the amazing Spider-Man, anytime he like forgets yep. to pick up like milk or whatever for Aunt the May. Eggs. It, yeah. The eggs. Yeah. It just fucking destroys me for some it's reason. It's good. Yeah. I mean, in, in this case, I will say in this case, Peter has a valid reason for it, even oh. like to Aunt May for not getting it because he wasn't in his school was invaded by supervillains. And she calls and she that out so that. fast. Yeah, she acknowledges yeah. that. But but even still, you know, um, yeah, it's always it's always because it's just another reason for Peter to feel guilty about mm-hmm. something. It's a, such an easy it's such an easy Peter Parker struggle yeah. to have. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but of course he's you know he's beating himself up for that. So later that evening, um, he's kind of having a conversation with himself about it in the form of Spidey in the mirror, which I like. I think that's actually a really fun thing that they do, um, where he's sort of talking to himself, wondering if he's ever going to be able to stop letting people down. And this leads him to wonder if Fury's offer could help him be a better version of himself Ugh. to stop with what he calls the loser routine. Peter. Um, yeah. <laughs> you poor baby. I, I do. I like, you know, I, I think it's. I feel it's, this. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like just a self-hating, you know, yeah. self-hating internal self, you know, negative self-talk thing. Yeah. Everybody, everybody deals with that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's like interesting how you almost like don't realize that that's like the underlying like thread of this episode until you get to the scene and they make it like very explicit, mm-hmm. but like they're, you know, for all the jokes and for all the weird cutting that they're doing and all the action in it, there's a really like deliberate, I think well done arc of this episode of Peter just being like, I'm cool. I'm, I know what I'm doing with Spider-Man and then like fucking up left and right yeah. to him. He's actually not doing that bad of a no. job really throughout the episode, but from her, her perspective, the mistakes that he've made, are mistakes that he didn't need to make that he shouldn't have made that feel dire enough to him yeah. to make him feel like he is a, a huge fuck up, which is enough to drive huh. him to doing what he didn't feel like he needed to do in the first place. Yeah. This will be an interesting thing to think about moving forward. Cause it wasn't a thing. This is why I'm so excited to actually talk about the show instead of just watch yeah. it because for a show that is explicitly, at least in the early days, like the most comedic version of Spider-Man, mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how much they play with that and a potential Peter Parker who is potentially like using humor to like mask these really sort of like self-hating or like negative self uh, observations. Yeah, I mean, because that, that is a thing that like is often dealt with in Spider-Man, oh, but yeah. also often isn't like sometimes that's just sort of kind of glossed over. And I think it's interesting for a show that is so heavily comedic to kind of acknowledge like, well, this is probably where the comedy is coming from though. It's because he fucking hates himself. And this yeah. is the only way he can sort of like stay sane is like Fuck. making constant jokes to not think about how much he hates himself. Yeah. Like yeah. that's a really, and, and considering, you know, the, the weird little peaks of darkness that this show has, I can sort of believe that that sort of darker under, you know, underlying aspect of it is a thing that could continue you know yeah Um, if it does then i think we might find the thing that i end up walking away really appreciating about this show you know yeah like sometimes we like under like uncover like a thing we didn't necessarily realize was there yeah yeah you know there's a lot happening on screen i think it's really easy to miss stuff like that if you're not taking like you know deep dives like we're trying to do Mm -hmm. um and i think also like there is something interesting to this what if scenario that this show presents where, you know, this is the type of scenario where so many times this would be your Spider-Man no more moment where people yeah. like, I'm a fuck up. I suck. Oh, I'm yeah. a loser. I just need to abandon being Spider-Man. And this show kind of presents the alternative where it's sort of like, what if he hit that Spider-Man no more moment, but was offered an opportunity to like 
improve himself, right? And then took that route instead. And that's what drives him to actually be part of a team or an organization. A thing Spider-Man is often very adverse to doing. Mm-hmm. What if he actually took that plunge and did that? And then that that ends up being the premise for this show. And yeah. I, I do think that that's really interesting. That's such a great observation. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's clear like up front, but I think when you get no. to this, that's kind of that is kind of what they're doing. Yeah, I don't think yeah, I agree with you. I don't think they I don't think that was the impetus for like this moment. I don't think they like asked that question and answered it with this. But I think like when yeah, when when you know that that's the typical reaction from Peter Parker, it's cool to see this different one and sort of like compare it to them. Mm-hmm. Interesting yeah. stuff. It is interesting. And you know, and that's when you get the line, are you okay with just being amazing or do you want to be ultimate? <laughs> Fuck those amazing Spider-Man comics <laughs> with your old lady doting Aunt May and you're like Mary Jane is your girlfriend. No, we're going to be the old the edgy ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. What do you want? Like a, a, a an old lady who's always dying in a in a ball and chain model? <laughs> Or do you want to be an alpha? <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, no. That went in a direction I don't like. Yeah, no, terrible. I mean, this is such a corny line, but I think it. I, I excuse it yeah, for being fine. in the very first episode of the show. I'm, yeah, I'm fine with that. Whatever. <laughs> it, like, it justifies the title of the show. Exactly. Con- especially considering how like not like the Ultimate Spider-Man comics it right. is. It, like, it's like, this is why we're yeah. calling it. You know, it's fine. This is, this and, is and Ultimate it's, Spider-Man. It's not the only show to include a line like this. 2017 oh, has line like me? this i think spectacular might have spectacular like spider-man absolutely um, does yeah. so it's like it's almost it's tradition you know it's fine yeah <laughs> next one i'm gonna be the sensational spider-man yeah, right. what till you get a load of the web of spider-man <laughs> i'm peter parker spectacular spider-man <laughs> <laughs> turns to the camera <laughs> <laughs> look we ran out of names this is what we got to do now <laughs> Oh, yeah, oh my yeah. god yeah so you know this this is his drive to actually take up fury on his offer so he uses that like shield develop web shooter that he got at the beginning of the episode to reach that shield heli uh, helicarrier i think this moment fucking rules actually mm, I like mean, when he finally decides to use it yeah and and you know the Again, this is a good looking show. I think the lighting of this whole sequence is really good because it's like at night and it's like in the rain. And I think they mm-hmm. do a really nice like shading on his costume. So there's almost like a sheen to it Yeah, um, that you don't really get. Like I like I like how it's colored. I like how yeah. it looks a lot. I think it it does look really fucking cool. Yeah. And um, they linger on the shield web shooter web shooting for like just a little bit too long, which is perfect. You know, mm-hmm. it's like when you drop a pebble into uh, like a dark space and you're like, it should have dropped by now. Like it should have hit by now. It leaves you yeah. just long enough to be like, is he going to make it? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's, it's, great. it's pretty cool. Um, but of course, he's immediately attacked by the security system. There. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's a very well, dumb right. choice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he holds his own fine. Like he's able to 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 stay on the helicarrier, but it's only with Fury's assistance that he's able to actually like avoid getting blown up and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know, I think it was just all a test. Uh, yeah, for sure. From Fury's end, uh, the episode ends with Fury welcoming Spider-Man warmly with a "Hope you survive." <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Faces of the episode are going to be wild for this show. Oh, uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Welcome to your nightmares, everyone. Mm-hmm. Flash Thompson in the 
uh, imagine spot that Spidey has oh of just like webbing him up. Like the, the way that they draw the close up of his face as he's like screaming webbed up towards the camera. Unreal. I hate it, but I, I appreciate it. what they're doing. Oh, for sure. It. It's interesting because this show uses so many different styles of visual comedy. Like it doesn't just mm-hmm. have one, right? Like sometimes it's comedy is like the cute chibi thing. Sometimes it's this weird, like exaggerated, almost like reminiscent of like new style tattoo art. Like it's just, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. so bizarre, <laughs> but yeah. like you never quite know what version of a joke you're going to get visually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that one of his teeth are chipped. In I this. hate that. Oh, that makes me want to die. <laughs> Yeah. It's yeah, not like, chipped, Derek. It's like cracked up the it's middle. Cracked. It's, it's cracked horrible. It is. It is. Just look at it online. I can't I don't even know how it's much really I'm talking about that. I mean, great the, grab. The teeth. The teeth are what do it for me, yeah. I think. Yep. The other one that I like much more are when Spidey has the imagined spot of like <laughs> who all the different people at at Midtown who could be Spider-Man are like he's like a teacher, a student, a lunch lady. And we basically get all these like people, all these spider people, uh, people in Spider-Man costumes, but like all with wildly different body types. And it's just fun to see the traditional Spider-Man costume like on all these very different looking people. Mm-hmm. It's just fun. I love lunch lady Spider-Man. I love that it's she great. gets to whip off. I think she's yeah. great. It's cool. Yeah. It's I want to visit design. that universe. It's a great design. Yeah. I dig it. <laughs> With her little just... tied up bun. <laughs> <laughs> the little tied up bun is really cute. Yeah. It's also interesting too. It makes you notice like the Spider-Man, the coloring on Spider-Man's costume on this show is a lot darker yeah. than I think we typically get on like any other Spider-Man show. It's like an almost black instead yeah. of the blue. It's really highlighted on Lunch Lady Spider-Man for sure. Yeah. Yeah. God, that costume. I can't stop looking at it. It looks so good on her. Like, it's interesting when you see it on different body shapes because, like, it's the very traditional, um, like, panels, but on her body type specifically, because she's, like, a a very curvy woman, like, it kind of hugs all the curves just right. Like, it looks really good on her. Yeah, the way (laughs) that, like... The way the sort of like the 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 red like torso section of the Spider-Man costume yeah. is, it fits an hourglass body type yeah. really well. Yeah. I was trying to figure out like what about it was so appealing versus like the other two, and that that really I think is it. Yeah, yeah, it's good. She should but be yeah. a regular character. Oh please, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is it, this is such an interesting opening episode to this yeah. show. I think there there really is more depth than I expect there to be and that then i realized when i did the first watch through of it too mm-hmm. i mean they really it's a sensory overload but this show sometimes they are throwing a lot yes. at you um and i think it kind of buries like what is a pretty interesting thread underneath all of it well there's an interesting thread underneath all of it and i'm i am genuinely impressed with how much they communicate to us about who this Spider-Man is and where he is in his journey at this moment. Mm -hmm. Like it's, you kind of walk away from this episode with like very few questions about like where Peter Parker and Spider-Man are. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it's very firmly established in less than 30 minutes with absolutely like a chaotic pace. So that's that's pretty, pretty, pretty good job. It doesn't necessarily make for like an incredible episode of television. And I don't think they were trying to, I think they were just trying to like communicate as quickly as possible. Like here's our tone. Here's our Spider-Man. Here's what we're setting up. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and and, and this episode aired the exact, the same day as the next one. Like it aired as an hour, which makes sense because the next episode like continues to establish stuff, but I think does calm down a little bit. (laughs) Can you imagine watching and like, can, can you imagine 
having never seen any of this show before. Uh-huh. Oh, well, you you maybe did this. I don't I don't remember if you wa- if you said you watched like this. You watched it in real time, but did you watch like the premiere in real time? Yeah, so I watched okay. both of them on the, so, at the same time. So you can imagine. I'm just thinking of like having never watched any of this before, and then getting this like absolutely yeah. like race car pace for two episodes in a row. Like I know the yeah. second one slows down, but it still feels like a, whole a product all you know together yeah and especially again like you know if you're coming off the heels of spectacular spider-man and you were as in love with that show as i was at the time and heartbroken yeah that it wasn't continuing and then you go to this one which is like the polar opposite of that show yeah. in some ways and, which is a good thing i think it needed to be it couldn't be if it was too close people would just be nitpicking it even more right for sure um but but it is it is like a weird whiplash effect too oh, like, i remember word. it being where it's just sort of like oh boy okay well <laughs> that's uh, mm. All right. Okay. We got another one. Let's <laughs> got, go. Let's show. All right. Ooh. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, of its own merits, I think it's a really interesting one to look at. And, you know, yeah. they, the, the, the producers were not wrong. This is definitely a unique show that yeah. is not like any show that came before it. And so far, not like anything that came after it. And I, I am, even though I, I'm, I, I don't expect to ever fully vibe with it. I am really excited to go through it and talk through it because I think that there really is like more thought put into this show than is given credit for. Um, and again, there's a lot of really talented people working on it as yeah. we've talked at length about um, that, that are very smart. And I think know how to tell a story, even if the method of telling stories in this show is wildly different from what we're used to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there is, there is always going to be interesting stuff to dig into no matter yeah. what. Oh, I'm super excited to talk about this one. I think I spent so much time being intimidated by us getting into it. But when I finally like sat down and watched it and was thinking about it and writing about it mm-hmm. and slowing down, you know, yeah. I realized like, you know what, I am, even though I'm currently at the sort of like neutral place with it, but but also I have to say like I do, sh- I do find the show funny. So even when I'm like neutral, I'm still like, I'll probably laugh at some stuff. Yeah. Um, I think I'm closer to liking it than not. So I'm excited for the potential of what our discussions could potentially do mm-hmm. um, for how I see this show. We'll see. Absolutely. I'm pumped. Absolutely. I'm pumped to. Well, if you are pumped by what we're doing on this very podcast, uh, you can support that pump. You you can you could use that pump to support us. Uh, on, don't I think we need to not go down can, whatever route you're going down. <laughs> you can pump us up over on Patreon. There you go. At page, pump us up with positivity. Patreon.com slash walloping web snappers. And check out our Discord. Um, there should be a link in the show notes. There's all kinds of cool stuff on Patreon. Uh, we hit over 100 episodes there. And there are uh, cool discussions happening in the Discord. Mostly about Spider-Man, but not always. Check it out. Mm. Um, you can also find us all over the place. Derek, where can people find you and the things you're working on? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find my other podcast gimmicks, which looks at the high concept, experimental, structure breaking, gimmicky episodes of television with a different show and a different guest for every episode I do. That will be back in March for some new episodes. So follow that podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, as well as on Twitter and Instagram at Gimmicks Pod. How about you, Doug? You can find me on Twitter at Ikibuli, I C K Y B O O L E Y. You can also find me on a podcast called Novel Gaming that I do with my friend Katie, where we catch up on all the media, video games, and books especially that we have been consuming lately. And if you like Pokemon, you can check me out on another 4-Eyed Radio Network 
product podcast i guess both called victory road a pokemon podcast um where we will soon be closing out uh by celebrating our 100th episode you can also check out our monthly podcast falling with style and ongoing or formally ongoing um i guess it's still technically ongoing pixar movie marathon where we watch every pixar film chronologically um currently we've watched all of them that exist so far so all of the episodes for all pixar movies that currently exist are out now including our full end of marathon retrospective and you can listen to that wherever you get your podcast if you've never listened to that before you've got plenty of time to catch up before elemental comes out in the summer <laughs> so you've got a whole marathon of pixar ahead of you just like we did <laughs> you can visit us on our website at wallopingwebsnappers.com for a full archive of all walloping web snappers and falling with style episodes and you can follow us on twitter instagram and facebook at walloping web pod or email us at walloping web snappers podcast at gmail.com of course please rate review and subscribe on all podcast platforms because if you like what we're doing somebody else will too and they just haven't found us yet next week spidey has to learn to work on a team in great responsibility Mm -mm. see you then bye